hello, readers and writers. I am Anthony L. Manna, also known as Professor Grandpa Tonio, the book guy and the writing guy. Welcome to Writers on Writing, my podcast series of conversations with great authors. Today, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Tamsin Wood, a very busy author. She has published several volumes of delightful, rhyming stories with captivating, full-color illustrations that invite readers to enter the magical land of On Kangleford Knock, where they meet a community of unforgettable fairies, such as kind Imogene Shimmersprite, I love these names, caregiver Molly Moss Muddle, can you believe this, and nasty Willow Glitternut among them, who love to explore kindness, love, bravery, courage, and many other, and many more empowering emotions and virtues. In other books, Foreverly Yours, Always With Me, and Light in Darkness, Tamsin focuses on child mental health and well-being. She explores the meaning of bravery, friendship, and hope in Phoebe Stropalot and Thingamai Duda Watsit. Try to say that 10 times early in the morning. Thingamai Duda Watsit. <laughs> These are two tales that are both humorous and heartwarming. Readers aged eight to 12 who get hold of Tamsin's Cosas Vivas, Living Things, a shapeshifter's tale, are in for an exciting adventure as they follow Laden Corvus, the boy with a mysterious secret, when he takes up a fight to save the world and those he loves from an evil predator. That book is haunting. In her most recently published book, Annie Flickerfall, and the heart of Anahai, illuminated with expressive illustrations by Delwyn Sugden, Tamsin continues examining friendship and love and the people in our lives who put their heart and soul into helping others. Tamsin Wood lives in Stratfordshire, England with her husband, two children, Finnan and Imogene. Am I saying her name right? Imogen. Imogen and a dog called Bear. About Bear, she wrote that he is a two-year-old Cavapoo, and when we brought him home, he looked more like a little teddy bear than a dog. I swear he thinks he's human sometimes, though. Oh, Tamsin, welcome. It's such a pleasure to have you here. I I'm, I'm hope that you take good care of yourself, et cetera. I'm truly delighted to be talking to you today about your, your life as a writer. You know, it's, a, it's, it's quite a pleasure and an honor, really. I mean, I just love, I love what you're doing uh, with the fairies and, and also with, I love the range. I love your range and I love Cosas Vivas and the uh, wonderful, um, which I'm going to talk to you about and just uh, as we get into this, but the, you YouTube illustrations, um, th those are unbelievably fascinating, very surreal. So let me ask you first, what do you remember about your experience with books and reading during your childhood? I remember devouring Beatrix Potter. I still have my original collection that I was bought. I think it was for either my third or fourth birthday. And it was the first thing I actually learned to read on my own. And I still have them now. My, well, my daughter has them. She she uh, took possession of them and they're now living in her room. But I still find those absolutely magical. And there's never been any other children's books like them. I just think Beatrix was just such an amazing storyteller and with her drawings as well. And after her, I moved on to Enid Blyton and Judy Bloom, who I believe is uh, quite big in America. And Judy took me through my teenage years, all my angst and uh, difficult moments. So I, I have a lot to thank Judy for. Well, that's wonderful. I think you also mentioned Roald Dahl at some point, did you not? 
Yes, I love him. I love the way he manages to get so much description and humor into his his words and how it flows so nicely. And the wonderful ideas that he came up with, he really pushed the boundaries with his characters. They weren't your usual characters. They were quirky. And I love that because I think it's important to reach even you know, kids who feel like they maybe don't quite fit in. And I think his characters very much touch those kinds of kids because they're different and they're unusual and they have that little bit of uniqueness about them. And I think that's what makes him so special. Oh, it's wonderful to hear that. I, I saw um, Matilda in London, no less. <laughs> and then uh, it came to New York. And so my partner and I flew to New York from Ohio where we live to see it there too. It was, just, it was mostly the same cast. And oh. it was, I just, oh, I mean, people were cheering and I mean, it was so, because there was such a rebellious spirit among those kids, but also their own integrity, holding on to their own integrity, you know, and that's what I loved about Matilda. But, oh, it's so great to hear you as a reader. Yes, and Judy Bloom continues to save a lot of adolescents, uh, pre-adolescents and adolescents in this country. So, all right, there you were as a, a reader growing up. What about, when, when did you know you wanted to be a writer? Pretty young because I wanted to disappear. I had a lot of self-doubt about who I was as a person and people accepting me and hiding behind writing stories, creating characters and taking myself off into other places made me forget my my normal life sometimes and who I was and I could be who I wanted to be I could create characters who made me happy because maybe some people around me didn't always make me happy or live up to expectations or treat me the way I wanted to be treated and it was lovely to go off into that fantasy world where I had people to talk to who really understood me even if they weren't actually real. <laughs> I love that I mean I and, and I think that I hope that parents and teachers who listen to this interview will know how writing can be part of saving ourselves, you know, and slipping into that world uh, of, of, of creation, of uh, development, you know, and, and looking at a piece unfolding can be a, a, a definite plus for a lot of uh, a lot of kids, you know, this, this is great stuff. Um, but but why why writing? What's the attraction? And what's you know what do you like the challenge about about writing? The writer William Nicholson said once, "We read to know that we're not alone," and I think that can be said for writing as well. It's a very solitary pursuit, but when you get engrossed in the characters that you create and the story that you're writing you're in a room full of people. Suddenly all these things leap off the page and come alive around you. And you're not sitting at your desk by yourself anymore. You're having conversations with people that you created and you look around you and what may be your home turns into this place that you've created in your book. And that escape to another time and place is very often what keeps, I know it keeps me sane, but it's what can keep a lot of writers sane in this crazy world that we live in. I regard my characters as personal friends sometimes. I'm, I, I, I'm fond of them almost as much as I'm fond of my real friends and family because they're so special to me. And it's similar to people who say love gardening. You plant a seed, you tend to it, you watch it grow and it becomes something amazing and beautiful. And that's what happens when you write a story. And it's just so lovely to watch something that starts off as something so tiny, a little seed, one word, a thought, a phrase, an idea, and watch it grow into something complete and wonderful and beautiful. Wow, what a, that's, it's like, it's, I, I love your image of the seed. Um, you know, and I, and I know I can relate that, you know, that feeling of, I'm not, I'm not alone, you know, and uh, I, you know, I still, with that book that I wrote, which is Lucas and the Game of Chance, I mean, Lucas has become, I almost want to write a sequel or something, because I don't want him to go away. <laughs> you know, and that's a real possibility, I think, you know, it is, it, it's so good that you talk about it that way, because we, you know, we are, we are creating setting, we're creating dynamic, we're creating conflict, you know, and uh, 
the, the whole kit and caboodle, <laughs> you know, and it's, it feels so satisfactory and, and it's a labor of love. I mean, it, uh, it's not always easy, you know, but we carry, we carry on. Before we begin discussing your books, I think, I think it's especially important for writers among our listeners to know that your writing life must somehow align with all those other responsibilities that you face. I'm I, I parenting and I think you're a part-time teacher or at least you're teaching at home, I think. So this all comes to mind. And so how are you handling all this? Well, as you said, I'm a wife and I'm a mother of two amazing kids. They are 10 and 14. And we're really blessed with a wonderful life. My husband's lucky to have a job that he enjoys and he's good at. And it's afforded me the luxury to be a stay-at-home mum, even when my kids have not been homeschooling due to the current situation that we've all found ourselves in. I am blessed to be able to be there whenever they need me. And it's also afforded me the luxury and the, the blessing of being able to write because I couldn't do what I do without my husband doing what he does. And I have that chance now to carve that niche for myself to do something that I love that otherwise I might not have been able to do. And I believe that we only get one chance. And if we feel that there's something that we really want to do in life, we should do it. We should make it happen. It may be difficult. It may take longer to achieve for some people. And I appreciate that there aren't always ways to get so easily to, to the destination that you, that you have in your mind. But, you know, however long it takes you, whichever route you take, you should always go for it. And I get great pleasure from my writing. And I appreciate having that platform to influence other people. And it's important to me that when I write, it sends a message to my readers. So it's not purely something I do just for fun. There is real purpose behind what I do. Oh, yes. And your themes. I mean, as I said in my introduction to you, you, you keep coming back, you know, to, to kindness and friendship and survival and, and uh, communicate um, rather than communicate relationship. It's very, you're very strong, you know, and I, I, I just hope that people that are listening to us today, you know, we'll go and find you because we'll talk about your, your um, website a little bit later, but that they'll come and find you in your books, you know, because these are, these are um, themes, you know, that I think could really serve in, in this present time that we're living through, serve quite well. To be able to talk to kids about these issues, I think, would be fantastic. Your first book is Fairy Boots. What an imaginative, imaginative and even whimsical cover you chose for this delightful story. What do you hope readers will gain from reading Fairy Boots? Well, this book, Anthony, was written to encourage a little girl who was facing something that most of us only imagine of happening to us. And I was so inspired by her courage as she was going through this personal battle that I wanted to put into that book something that would inspire other children who were either going through or would in the future go through something similar and let them know that it's how they deal with a situation that makes the difference. Some things are out of our control and we can't determine the ending, but we can determine how we deal with getting to where we get to. We can determine whether we choose to feel fear or whether we choose to be brave. We can choose whether we reach out to other people and say, help me, I can't do this on my own. And that is what this book is meant to inspire, is to teach kids everywhere that if they're going through something, it may be something huge. It may be something that possibly is slightly more trivial. It will still be huge to them but it's how they deal with it that is important. And it's how they get through it that will see them through it and how they choose to face what they're dealing with. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I, I think that so many characters in, in our children's books surprise a lot of adults who haven't read very much into the, into the field, the universe of children's and tweens and teen book <laughs> books because uh, they, they're very surprised sometimes that there are um, very intense emotions, themes, topics, uh, and resilience. I hear you talking about resilience here, 
boy, we all need that, you know? And so I think that getting to children early on with that feeling, those emotions and those thoughts that it'd be so wonderful just to keep talking to them about these issues. You know, I just, I just see your books coming, you know, coming right down the tube there and landing in their lives. Let's turn our attention to the fairies of the tales of, uh, am I saying Kangleford? Yes. The tales of Kangleford Knock. First of all, what is Kangleford Knock? Well, in the last decade, I've gone through some very big changes um, leading up to the publication of my first book. Um, I got married and I moved away from my childhood home of over 30 years to a new country and set up home as a complete family unit. And that was what started everything. I wanted to make a record of that in some way to leave for my kids, for other kids, for for just anyone to show that I was here. And so I made an anagram of the place that we lived and the name of the place we lived didn't inspire anything magical whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So I sat down and I love playing with words. So I made an anagram of it and that was on Kangleford Knock. (laughs) <laughs> okay, there we go. You know, and it, I mean, I'll tell you one thing about it. It's not an expression or a term or whatever that you forget. <laughs> you know what I mean? Once you, you know, once you start saying it, you know, I was practicing it one day because I didn't want to sound like a fool. And, you know, there it is, you know, and that's, that's great. I mean, it's, it's very long lasting in terms of its effectiveness. It seems to me that Kangleford Knock fairies are on a mission to help children learn important, I should say essential values that can help them nurture good relationships and live happy lives. What do you think of that? Absolutely. I think it's imperative that we instill the important things in our children. They need to know that it's important to be kind, it's important to be honest and brave and responsible. And it's it's above all, it's important to be a good friend. And I hope that my stories are a fun way to get those messages across. Good. That certainly happens. Um, you know, and I, I think that uh, the fact that their their names are so odd, you know, uh, and, and but they stay with you because of that. You know what I mean? And I don't know if the word odd is a very good word. I, I don't I don't want to say weird because that's that's a value judgment. But the fact that they that you can't, you have to keep saying their names. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, think that, I think that that's what I was doing, you know, and especially on that area of your website where you, you list the characters, you know, when you talk about their, their virtues, their values, et cetera. And I find that fascinating, you know, and um, I hope that people will, will take the opportunity to visit your, your website to see that catalog of names of, that you've chosen because they're, they're very um, fascinating. Thank you. I, I say you're welcome, and I say I say your fairy characters. I say it again are fascinating. Molly Mossmuddle, Willow Willow Glitternut, Layla Moonbeam, to mention a few. I enjoy getting to know them. They seem to fascinate you as well, and I wondered about that. Well, you talk about their names being so different. They are all unique and individual. That's the way I love to describe them, unique and individual. Two of them are named after my own children. And (laughs) that was where the inspiration came from. They are all named after people I know. They are all based on real individuals. And they're like an extension of my family. I've, these characters have helped to shape my life and in turn, my family's lives, because writing my books has changed things for us. And I am biased, but my favorite characters are Finn and, and Imogen. <laughs> and I believe that by developing characters, basing them on reality, it makes them more believable and it makes them more relatable to the people who read my books, to, to my young readers. Because if you have a character that you can believe in, you're more likely to resonate it resonates with them more and they can understand more what that character is going through and maybe take a situation that they've been in and say yeah 
I've been there, I've felt that way, and so has this character. And they feel an affinity with that character and it helps them to connect more with the book and with the story. That's beautiful. And I think, uh, I'm so happy that you talk about that because I'm saying readers and writers, listen to her, listen to Tamsin, because they can take care, you know, when, when they're thinking of developing a story, you just gave them permission as a writer to say, think about the people in your life. You know, you don't have to use their names directly, you know, but you can certainly give them a preference in your story, you know, in your stories. And I, I think what that's like, a, that, that would be, be a wonderful workshop for you to do with young readers and writers and maybe even older readers and writers. <laughs> that's, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. The themes in Phoebe Stropalot. Stropalot. She's Stropalot. She strops a lot. Oh, yeah. Okay. There we go. And then I have to say this Thingamai, Duda, what's it? Thingamy. Thingamy? Thingamy. Okay. Got thingamy. it. Thingamy. Thingamy. <laughs> got it. <laughs> right. <I'm, laughs> see what I mean? This is, a, this is a great lesson, really. I mean, all right. The, they, these characters invite readers to think about some pretty serious discoveries your characters make as they relate to others. So you want to tell us about your goals for these two stories? Phoebe is an absolute sweetheart. The real Phoebe is an absolute sweetheart and the one in the book is just as much. And the story follows the journey of Phoebe who's struggling with her life and She's pushing against what's expected of her. She's trying to find her identity and her way of dealing with the fact that she's going through all this is to misbehave. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we've all been through either ourselves or with our children at one point or another. And I'm sure that we've all felt like we don't fit in and that we've acted out because of those insecurities. And Phoebe Stropalot takes us on the journey where Phoebe learns exactly what it means to be a good friend, to be liked and to be accepted. And it's all about your behavior towards others and how you feel about yourself. And I love watching her evolve through the book from the beginnings where she's absolutely horrible mm -hmm. to the end where she's just everybody's favorite person. Oh, that's wonderful. And, and I, can't, I can't help but think that, that many teachers and many parents could relate to that quite well. Because, you know, what do you do uh, with, um, you know, you want to say incorrigibility, but not so much, just rebellion or a sadness, you know, however it manifests itself in our children. And what do we do to help them to help them move through, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, and, and I even think <laughs> this is going to be maybe sound a little strange. My son is 51 going on 52 and that it doesn't stop, you know. I mean, you know, I'm still there for him and I'm still, you know, helping him through some of his difficulties in terms of the jobs that he has and, you know, when he doesn't have a job and, you know, and it's, um, you know, helping them through being there for them fully is, is what we want to do as parents. And I think that your children in your books have that, you know, that, that, that support and that's a beautiful gesture no matter what era we live in. Thingamai. Did I say, what was it again? Thingamai. 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 Okay, got it. You've also focused on difficult issues in Always With Me, Foreverly Yours, A Light in the Darkness, and Little May's Angel. So can you please talk about, because those are picture books, so you're tackling pretty big issues there. What, what were you after? I was looking one day for a book that dealt with loss and I couldn't find anything that seemed to fulfill that brief mm. that I thought I can show this to my kids and they're actually going to get what I'm trying to talk to them about. All the books that talk about bereavement and sadness and dealing with something not very good happening in your life seem to be these books with no pictures and very long and very dull and very if I may say so, the ones I found anyway, were very uninspiring and clearly not written with children in mind. And I decided then that I should just write my own. 
And Always With Me came about after the little girl who actually inspired Fairy Boots lost mm -hmm. her father. They died. Mm -hmm. And I was in a place of grief at that time for her and for the family. And all of that just poured out. And what that was what Always With Me became. And I had a wonderful illustrator who worked with me on that, Sylvia Hofnagels. And she just took everything I wrote and just brought it so beautifully to life with her illustrations and made it look so stunning that, you know, it's a book that hopefully children will want to pick up and will want to read. Even in their time of desperate sorrow, it will bring them some comfort and some light in their life. And the same with Foreverly Yours. Mm -hmm. This again was written from personal experience of knowing someone who lost their infant daughter. And I communicated with them through their grief. And the story came about from conversations that we had. And that was very personal again, because it was my take on what was happening at the time. And so it's a very honest, very candid look at loss. And I feel that this goes back to the idea that you have to write about what you know, about what you feel and what's honest, because it's more believable. Now, A Light in the Darkness is aimed at a much broader audience, not just at people who have suffered from losing someone. Mental health is a huge, huge issue today, more than ever, probably. And it's imperative that we protect our children and do all that we can for them through life to help them to deal with their feelings and the fact that they may not know always what to do with those feelings. And I've experienced firsthand what it's like when a child falls apart. I fell apart as a child at one point, and I've watched at various points my own children go through very, very difficult things. And as a result of the pressures that are put on kids today, a light in the darkness is maybe it's not accurate. It's not meant to be judged. It's simply my message to readers everywhere to encourage them that no matter how much darkness they might find themselves in, if they reach out, there is someone there and there is light in the darkness. Absolutely wonderful. And uh, I mean, to, to, to awaken children to that kind of spirituality, uh, to, you know, for you to take that on and make it palpable is, uh, is, is just absolutely a brilliant move. Um, and then I think there's also Little May's Angel. That was um, the beginnings of Foreverly Yours. It started off as Libby May's Little Angels. And then I met um, Everly's family and it, it evolved into that story. So they're actually the same story, but they apply to two different children. Oh, okay. And then, you know, and I haven't said enough probably, uh, I said a little bit about illustration uh, and picture, et cetera, in um, my introduction, but I mean, that's something that we can point out right now. I mean, too, is that your books are, are beautifully illustrated and um, very appealing, of course, that way. But also because when we think about illustrated books, uh, picture books for children or illustrated in any format, I mean, what we want to do is we want to support them visually and with the verbal, you know. And so when those two come together in a kind of wonderful marriage, it helps kids learn to read so much better. You know, and I don't know what's happening in UK right now, but I know in the States, um, graphic novels, as we call them, whether it's graphic nonfiction, graphic poetry, graphic whatever, has become enormously popular because it does the very thing that we're talking about is that it, it's, it provides, a, a, you know, a double, a, double mess, a double way of reading, you know, and, and seeing. And so I'm so happy that we're talking about your illustrations, too, because people need, need to... To, to, to see your books from that perspective as well. Well, here we go. Uh, turn to your novel, Cosas Vivas, A Shapeshifter's Tale, your fantasy novel for middle grade kids. You say, uh, I like this, you say it's a story where, quote, human and animal worlds collide. How do you make that happen? 
Layden is a boy with a history. He's had a lot happen to him, which you find out as the story develops. And he has a very dark secret, only some of which he's aware of. And he's facing this dilemma of keeping what he does know to himself, trying to find out what he doesn't know and not knowing who to ask and trying to find his place in the world because at the, at the start of the story, he just doesn't really fit anywhere. And then as the story progresses, he realizes that he doesn't have to go through what he's going through on his own. He learns to trust. He learns about loyalty from people that he meets. He learns who he really is from the people he meets. And he learns to stand up for himself and for other people. And it's, it's almost a rite of passage. And throughout the story, we also, I wanted to put across this point that as humans and animals, we're not that different. There are so many things which make us similar. And one of the parts at the beginning of the book, um, it's, it's not, if you like, straightforward story. It's more of an explanation for why I've written the book. And it explains briefly that, you know, we were all put on this earth together and it's about coexisting and getting along with each other and sharing this planet that we live on and understanding each other. And it's how certain individuals have gone off and followed their own path through greed or ambition or just want to be different. And it's about bringing everybody full circle back together to unite, to keep this planet from imploding really. And that's what the story does. It, it, it takes us back to who we really are and where we should be. So it, it's almost like, you know, hopefully by the end, resetting the clock and starting from zero. Well, talk about a heavy theme. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's wonderful. I mean, I just, uh, and the idea of the shapeshifter, our, our listeners are gonna have to read the book to find out what that means. We, we won't spoil it, you know, but it's, uh, it's fascinating, you know, and, and something that uh, I stayed with. Um, you, you also have, you, with, with uh, Cosas Vivas, you, 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 you um, give us these vivid and haunting images on YouTube. Um, can you describe a few of them or at least maybe not, uh, whatever you wanna do with those, but I mean, I think if you talk about them, I think it'll be really enlightening. Well, I was inspired to write this story during a trip to a place in Wales. And it's a place my family and I love to visit in, um, it's not far from Snowdonia and it's called Lake Fernwy. And it's just, I cannot describe it other than it is the most beautiful place on earth. And I just felt such a sense of, wow, that, that's the only word I could think of. And that's the only word I could speak when I went there. It was just everywhere you looked was so beautiful and so magical and so out of this world. It was almost ethereal. And it was just, wow. And I just, in a moment, I came up with all these ideas and I had to find, I believe it was a napkin or a scrap of paper in the, in the glove box of our car. And I had to scribble down all these ideas and, so I wouldn't lose them. And then when I got home, I'm straight on my laptop writing everything down for this one story. And whenever I visit there, I'm walking in Layden's footsteps. I'm following the path that he takes in the story. And it was so vivid for me, more than any of the other stories I've ever written. I could just see this whole story coming off the page, almost like a mini movie. And so I thought, well, yeah, let's do that. Let's kind of get that out. And it's not something I can put into a book. So let's make it into videos, hence mm -hmm. the YouTube movies. And they are literally my interpretations of the characters in my book and the theme and the feel of what the story is about. That's wonderful. And I think there, it's like, sometimes it's, it's a mix. It's a mix. I mean, they're, hu they're human surreal. You know, and they 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 take on animal shape or animal form, um, and you know, having my background in theater, I think to myself that how how great that would be to explore with kids in a kind of dramatic situation. You know, after after reading through this book and looking at his journey, 
um, it's 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 quite fascinating. Um, so I, I I think that you will relate to this very much because you're you're such a craft person. That uh, I mean, in your writing, a, a book takes a lot of time, energy, creativity, patience, endurance. Let me go on, you know. So, can you describe your writing and publishing and illustrating journey, the journeys or one journey or whatever that you take to get there? Absolutely. I think the word I would use best to describe what I do is therapy. It's therapy for me. And hopefully when people read my books, it, it's therapy for them. When I write, I'm offloading. I'm, it's my way of letting off steam. It's my way of getting out all the pent up everything that I've stored for a day or a week or a month. And it all just comes out onto paper. It's an escape for me. And when I write, I might be still physically sitting at my desk, but in my mind, I'm not there anymore. I go wherever my story takes me and I'm in that other place. And most of the time, the writing comes pretty easily. Although I do admit that I have to, um, my husband has to put up with me suddenly uh, choosing to write at very inopportune moments of the day and night. Um, I have been known to be scribbling down ideas at stupid o'clock in the morning or right when we're about to have dinner it's like hold my plate don't let the dog eat my meal I need to write something down and uh, that happens a lot um the dog hasn't eaten my dinner yet but I'm sure it will happen at some point but you know it's just when you get an idea it can be looking at an object it can be being in a place it can be seeing a person it can be hearing something all sorts of things can give me inspiration and it's just that getting it down on paper and it doesn't always work straight away sometimes I'll get an idea and then I'll think that's a great idea but I don't know what to do with it right now and I'll go away and I'll think about it and I'll come back to it sometimes it will just splurge out onto the page and it's just bish bash bosh it's done yeah. and there's the story um, I wish that happened every time <laughs> but it doesn't um, and sometimes I'll look at something for a long time. Um, my most recent children's, uh, younger children's book that I released, Annie Flickerful, mm -hmm. that started off as something which was actually in two halves. That was two stories that ended up being blended together because I just didn't know what to do with each of them. And then suddenly one day, epiphany inspiration mm -hmm. and the magic piece just fell into place and there I had my finished book and but that took months that that book actually started off in 2017 mm -hmm. and it's only just come to fruition now so some things can happen quickly over a, a couple of months a few months and some things can take years so true and I think sometimes in my own writing what always fascinates me is that uh, and, and I could relate to, the, to your thinking, you know, like when well, you're in a car or you need a, a nap, you need a piece of paper or something. And it's like, you never, all of a sudden it happens. You know, it, it's like, I, I don't know why. I mean, this character that I've uh, created um, in, this, in the story that I'm now working on, um, he, all of a sudden he's gonna go to this market. And, and I didn't, I had no intention you know, but then I thought, well, how am I going to get them to the market? Because they're, they're, they're a lighthouse family. They're on an island, you know. And so there's going to have to be a cart, you know. And then I go back and I go, oh, what kind of horses, you know. And it's wonderful because then I had to go because I, the, the background of the story is somewhat set in Brazil in my mind. And so I thought, what kind of horses are there in Brazil? <laughs> so, you know, I mean, isn't it isn't the way this happens sometimes? You just don't know. It's so mysterious, you know, and it just... There's so many different layers to think about. I find it fascinating. And, you know, even um, the older I'm getting, I was just talking to my friend about this yesterday, is the fact that I'm so glad I'm still doing this at my age because it's keeping me, it's keeping me active, you know, to have to, to have to, uh, what, uh, salvage, you know, what, salvage what's, what's there deep down inside, you know, and uh, when you're, when you're actually, you know, working on a, on a tale, on a story that, a narrative that has a beginning, a middle and an end, you know, and all those details. It does. It certainly keeps the little gray cells ticking away. <laughs> and then after the writing, I do generally find that that's when I start to get a little bit stressed because I've been very lucky till now. 
I've managed to find illustrators in all the books I've worked on who have just their their illustration has married together perfectly with what I've been doing but that is a headache to find that perfect match because it's like a relationship in real life with a real person it has to fit it has to be right otherwise it just doesn't feel like it's going to work and so I've been incredibly lucky and I do my own editing um, and formatting before I get the book printed my husband will come in and do the little tech savvy nudges where I have no idea what I'm doing and I'm likely to wipe the whole thing off my computer if I press the wrong button but uh, (laughs) luckily that's not happened yet but um and then the marketing that's the real headache I think a lot of self-published authors at least will agree that's the headache is the marketing it's getting your book out there once you've got your finished book in your hands it's that feeling of pride and elation that you've finished and doesn't it look great and wonderful. And then it's right now I need to get people to buy it. And I'm extremely blessed that through my publicist, Jonathan Masalinas, I have been put together to fit with so many amazing people who have promoted my books. And I've found a whole world out there that I never knew existed before I started this journey and there are so many like-minded people out there who do similar to what I do they love what they do it's all they want to talk about and I'm now getting to talk to people who talk about stuff that I love that I'm interested in and it really means something to have that support that network that family of authors and illustrators and publicists and promoters who are so passionate about your work that you feel it it's really worth doing even before you've actually sold a book because you've got all these people rooting for you it's fantastic it's fantastic and we should say Jonathan Masalinas is um empowered empoweredpublicity.com that is correct and he would be a, a good uh, advocate um and mine is a Rick Light uh, Rick is a uh, stress-free book marketing, and he really works on the stress-free because, you know, book marketing is so beyond me in so many ways. And he's been he's been a mentor, you know, and uh, and so I mentioned him, too. But I mean, I know what you mean that, you know, we do need help. It's a it's a, a big, wide world out there. And uh, how much time can we give, you know, to to our own book marketing? But it is a challenge. Um, so I, I, I think about any advice that you would have for a person out there who longs to be a published writer, what, what would be the first bit of advice? There is a story in all of us, whether it be based on reality or fantasy, something you've just made up in your head. And your story is worth telling. There will be people out there who your story might not be your, their cup of tea. It might not be something that certain demographics of people will enjoy or buy. But there are people who will love your book and they will love you for it as well. Do your research. That's the first thing. Who are you aiming at? Get advice. Join online groups. Talk to people in the know. Talk to people who have already published stuff, who are good at what they do say for instance like publishers like publicists like people who format books like people who have done it so many times and they've found out if you like what works and what doesn't work so they can tell you which way to go which way not to go what to aim for and what to avoid and that is really really helpful but just go for it and don't be put off when it seems like it's difficult Don't be put off if you're struggling with a certain aspect of it, because there will be somebody who will give you good advice. Just be prepared to work hard, listen to the advice that you're given, and do not give up. Self-publishing is not by any means a place where people who are not good enough to be traditionally published go. Being self-published isn't second best. I self-publish because I want my work out there and I just don't have 
the patience to sit there and take however many letters from somebody who my book may just not be right for. It's not that my book is not good. It's just that that person may not connect with that book in the way that I would like them to. So if you want to publish a book, publish a book, but do your research first, get advice, listen to people and be organized before you start and then take it from there. Good luck. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, I think that, you know, you, you claimed yourself as your own editor. And I think sometimes I know that I need somebody else, you know, and there are people out there who do that, you know, um, and we have, um, an international company actually. And, and I really like their work here in the States. It's, it's bubblish. It's B U B L I S H bubblish.com, you know, and, and also, uh, you know, you might want to check out uh, Rick light at uh, stressfreebookmarketing.com because he too, you know, can offer some edit some connections, you know, with people who, um, can help us you know so it, it's it's wonderful if um let me let me we're coming to the end i wanted i wanted to ask you about uh any other projects i know i was fascinated to find annie flickerfall that was by accident i don't know i found it somewhere planning flicker flickerfall and the heart of anaheim is it anaheim 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 all right so annie flickerfall and the heart of anaheim wow <laughs> so or you have other projects in the making of course I do yes and a writer's work is never done the book is never closed and I always will have a story to write um I'm working on several things right now I have a project called Rainbow Baby which is dealing with the subject of miscarriage oh. again it's a subject that I feel is very prominent in society and a lot of people choose to if it hasn't happened to them they turn their heads away from it and I think it's something that it needs to be addressed because so many people struggle with this in silence they hide it away almost like it's something possibly that they feel ashamed of because they feel people won't want to listen to me being sad about the fact that this happened to me and it's not something to be ashamed of and it is not something that people get over it's like when you lose somebody living you don't get over it in a set time it takes time for the individual to grieve and to mourn and to move forward and to lose someone who in whatever way you would possibly term to look at it has never lived if you like because they haven't been physically born you've still lost a part of you. You've still lost something that was living inside of you. And I felt that that was something really important to tackle and to address. So this book is aimed at addressing that in a simple way that children can understand so that, you know, they can understand possibly if their parents have been through it, how mommy and daddy might be feeling mm -hmm. and they can help process how they feel as well because it must be very difficult not just for mom and for dad but for any siblings who are there who have come before or who maybe come after who hear about this invisible child that doesn't live in their house but always gets whispered about or talked about or remembered on certain days so that's that's the purpose of rainbow baby rainbow baby wonderful okay so we'll have to look for that that's such an important topic and uh Oh boy, you know, I, I mean, there are so many people out there right now who can relate to that, you know, because we, we've all been around either family members or even in our own lives where we've lost, we've lost babies. And yeah. what a, you know, it's, it's such a sadness and such an emptiness and you have to work through it. And mm -hmm. so maybe, and also I, I love the fact that you're emphasizing this um, with the, the children in the family because they, you know, because you, you, first you hear, their excitement about mommy's going to mommy's going to have a baby mommy's going to and they're so excited and then to have that loss would be would be uh, you know a, a guide they need guide a guidance you know to to get them through that kind of uh, thing yeah so those feelings are so strong yeah. so many of your so many of your books are like that um, you know and uh, that's why everybody listening to us readers and writers you rush out immediately. And I'm gonna tell you right now, 
where to find Tamsin. Uh, you'll, when you visit her website, you're in for a special treat, believe me. It's www.ontanglefordknock.co.uk. Now I'm going to spell that out, so be patient. O-N-C-A-N-G-L-F-O-R-D-N-O-C-K dot C dot C O dot U K. Wow. I did it. <laughs> Her website is bright and cheerful with lots of multicolored pictures. There are many links to educational materials. I enjoyed those a lot, by the way, including well-being activities and a PowerPoint introduction to mindfulness for children. You'll also find an art and craft directory of goods to buy and things to make. And don't forget to find the links in the interviews and publicity website section that lead to Tamsin's charming interviews on Kidlit TV's Story Makers and also uh, the Spotlight series. You'll find that easily enough. Um, and also readers and writers, you'll soon find a recording of this interview after it's edited in the media section of my website, that's Anthony Manna, M-A-N-N-A, anthonymannabooks.com, and it's called Writers on Writing Podcast. Excuse me, Writers on Writing Podbean, Pod, Tams, and we're coming to the end. Thank you. I mean, I just, you're the kind of person that I'm gonna call you up from time to time. I hope you'll allow me to. You know. Please do. Yeah, no, I would love that. I, I, you're, you're spending precious time with me today. So inspiring. Uh, and, and it's, you know, I'm so glad that you're out there doing what you're doing. And I will certainly look forward to, to your other publications. And so um, thank you so much for spending time with me today and have, have the rest of a good day. I know it's, it's almost evening in, 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 in UK. Um, you know, but uh, let's let's stay in touch and support one another. I, I find that be so important with you and you take good care. Tell your family, Anthony Manna says hello from, from Ohio. <laughs> okay, and um, we'll talk soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye.